little kid, man. Amen. He is the he's the light of our life. He is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, we planted a church uh, in the heart of Seattle about five months ago, and it's been incredible. Just uh, people coming to know Jesus, uh, baptized 20 people, uh, seeing people come out of addiction, uh, marriages uh, in process of getting healed, and real lost people finding Jesus, and people who had lost track of Jesus getting back on track with Jesus. So it's been really cool. I want to start with honor. I'd like to honor Pastor Ray and his wonderful wife. You guys are... Yeah, you guys don't know how lucky you are, man. IFTF is a really, really cool organization. So this is my first like big dive into the ocean of IFGF, and here's what I've found: all of the pastors uh, are really good at too many things. Like all of them are like CEOs or something. They're all pastors. They're leading like half the world to Jesus. And it seems like every single one of them can sing. I didn't know about that. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that Pastor Ray can sing his butt off? I didn't know that until like 10 seconds ago. So anyway, uh, I honor you. He was serenading me. You know, he was in competition with you. So talk to him, talk to him about that afterwards, you know. Um, anyway, just want to honor your uh, your staff and your lead team here at OC. Uh, you guys obviously have something there very, very special here. And uh, I just want to end by honoring my wife. Uh, you're my best friend, my ride or die. And uh, yeah, without you and Jesus, I would royally suck. So, um, so first slide, if you want to pull your phones out and take a picture of this, uh, try to provide personal study scriptures when I go places. Um, explain this at Kaleo. I'm in the way. <clears throat> so let me move out of the way. And hopefully I don't create feedback. Um, I move a lot when I preach. Uh, if that freaks you out, this whole row is empty. So uh, you're smart because you're like, basically to you, you're free from any spit that might hit you. Uh, yeah, so this is what I call a, a theological framework. So basically uh, what I'm trying to give you an opportunity to do is take something away so you can go study. Uh, you can uh, get a full Genesis to Revelation picture of what we're going to talk about today. I think that's really, really important. Uh, and then secondly, I'd just uh, like to invite you to close your eyes. Just take a deep breath. And I'm going to invite you to pray. I'll lead you in this prayer, but I'd like to invite you to pray. And I mean uh, communicate to God. So just with your eyes closed, let's just focus in on God, on Jesus. And I, uh, I don't know you and you don't know me, but um, Jesus loves you. He sees us all as equals. Uh, the world sees socioeconomic status, but Jesus doesn't. Uh, the world sees race and gender and makes those things a priority, but Jesus doesn't. And uh, to Jesus, uh, we're all equal. And uh, the cross is the valuation that matters most. And so uh, with those things in mind, pretend it's just you and God in a room. And let's say this together. Let's say, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. One more time, all together. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. what do you, you? want to say to me through this message? One more time. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. what do you, you? want to say to me through this message? And I'll pray. God, we're so honored to be in your presence. 
We're so honored to be gathered together, and we honor you, God, above all. And Lord, I ask that you help me to say what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else, that your body, your kids, Heavenly Father, would be edified, that the sons and daughters in this room would feel your presence and hear your voice as I speak, and I would just ask God that you would communicate directly to our minds and our hearts and open us up to receive whatever it is you want to do. And in fact, God, we just turn this whole thing over to you, and we ask that you'd have your way in every aspect of it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, how did you put it? And uh, all the beloved, uh, and all of his beloved said, amen. Was just, it's better coming from you probably, but man, that was, that was really sweet. That touched me. Um, I'm just going to dive into this, okay? You guys ready for the word? <clears throat> Anybody? Uh, who is at Kaleo? Okay, you guys, then you guys got to be real loud then because uh, you don't get to be all hyped there and then all quiet here. You know what I mean? Be the same everywhere, okay? Be crazy Jesus freaks everywhere or, uh, you know, you know, pick and choose them. So you ever misplaced your phone before? How's that feel? And let's be honest, it feels worse than it should, right? Well, Kat misplaced her phone one night, and so we stopped. It was like 10 p.m., man, and we stopped everything we were doing. We wanted to go to bed. We stopped everything to do what? To find that girl's phone, okay? We were ripping cushions off the couch. We were looking everywhere. It was, I don't remember where it was. It was like in your pocket or something like that. Here's the point, right? Why did we do that? We did it because it was important to her, and we love her, right? I don't actually care about her phone, if I'm being totally honest. But I do care about her, and it was important to her, so we helped her find something that was lost because we valued her, and it was important to her. I'm going gonna to carry this theme in. Uh, we have this thing called the Seattle Seafood Festival. It is what it sounds like. It's a festival in Seattle surrounding seafood okay so it's the seattle seafood festival and uh, we were there with our toddler um, how many of you know toddlers always stay where they're supposed to and they do exactly what you tell them and they're just the perfectly like they just they've got all their faculties in place and they're not impulsive at all right anybody ever raise a toddler you guys get what I'm saying? So we were there with a group of people, and one of our team members was watching Asher. Now, if you're in a public place with your toddler, you do secure handoffs, right? Because you make sure the person you're giving the toddler to knows that you're giving the toddler to them, right? Because if you don't do that, they don't know, the toddler doesn't care, and they walk away, and the toddler does what they want. So uh, Seattle's not the safest place, right? And, uh, and you know what you don't want to do? Lose your toddler among like 10,000 people rolling around eating seafood and God knows what. You know what I mean? And so one of the team members did a soft handoff, which is not a handoff, just to be clear. It's a hard handoff with a toddler or it's no handoff, okay? There's no like, I think he saw. He might have known. None of that, right? So I turn around and I see the person who is supposed to have my kid, no kid. Dude, any parents in the room ever had your toddler walk away for like even a millisecond? Like you lost eye contact with them for like, you lost sight of them for 10 seconds in public. Anybody else? You're all better parents than me? That's fine. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Ray. That's fine. Don't admit it. It's fine. That's just where we'll start. We'll just start with you lying in church. 
you know, I'm just, I'm just being serious. And so, uh, so he was gone, man. What do you think happened? My, my heart sunk down to the floor. It was the scariest moment of my life. First thing that went through my mind is someone's got my kid. I'm looking for people running away with my kid's legs kicking behind him. I have no idea where he is. He might have been out of sight for 30 seconds. You know what every single person did? There were about nine of us. Everyone knew what the mission was. Find the lost kid. Find the lost kid. And after 30 seconds, this really sweet older couple was like, hey, I think you're all looking for this guy. And Asher turns around like nothing had happened. And was just like, hey, Dad, I was just making more friends with strangers. And uh, we've talked about this since then. Um, but we found him. If you lost your kid or loved one, is there anything that, you, uh, that could stop you from finding them? As a parent, look, man, if you don't have kids... It's a very unique experience, and you just don't know what you don't know. You can only guess, you can only assume, and you can only hear from other parents what you feel for your kid. But I'm telling you right now, God does something, and one of the most like beautiful loves you will ever experience. And I think, honestly, the closest love you'll ever have to being able to understand the way God feels about every one of you is when you have your kid. Because he puts something inside of us that sees them completely different than every other human. And your instantaneous attachment to that kid, you would die for them. You would, like, suffer for them. You will, I mean, parents are workaholics because they want to provide for their kids. You guys with me? Like, we'll do anything for our kids. We'll roll up into prison for our kids. You know what I mean? And so if, they, if you lost your kid or your loved one, is there anything, anything that could stop you from finding them? No. No, you would stop everything and everyone and enlist all that you could to help you find them. I'm telling you right now, if somebody would have stopped and asked me what I was looking for, I would have pulled out a picture and I would have told everyone. I would have been like, if you were there, I would have been like, girl, this is what he looks like, go find him. I don't know you, but you just became part of the team. You would find everyone you could and you would enlist help. Are you guys with me right now? You guys know what I'm saying? So you wouldn't care if you looked foolish I didn't have the thought that I feel it now when I'm standing in front of you saying I lost my toddler for a few minutes, but I didn't consider my status in that moment. I didn't think, oh, I'm a horrible parent. All I thought was my kid's missing. Do you know what I'm saying? I was like, I was real peeved at the soft handoff person for about two seconds, but my mind immediately went away from how I felt about them into finding my lost kid. Your only focus and care would be to find the lost child. The two stories I just told are easy to relate to. You lost your phone. Nobody wants to lose your phone. Who wants to log back into all those things and, like, do all the different stuff again? That would be really painful, right? But they are completely different in level. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I would destroy every single one of your cell phones to protect my kid. Without hesitation, I would go through and I would rob you of all of your phones. I would put them in a bonfire if it meant I could keep my kid from pain, okay? And I know you love your phone, but you do not know how much more I love my kid than how much you love your phone. And it's hard to imagine, but for every lost person on the planet, God's heart is like mine was for Asher. 
for every single person on earth, God's heart breaks for them. I don't know that I fully understood it, and I don't know that any of us really can completely understand the love that the Father has for all of you. And we are really great at making it about so many things that don't matter at all. We are experts at making our lives about secondary issues when God has one thing on his mind all the time, 24-7, and it's you. And it's every other kid that doesn't know him. And it's every other kid that doesn't know that they're a kid. You guys with me? You guys with me? Okay. God's heart is the heart of a good, good father. And his heart is broken for his kids. His heart in us should motivate us to pursue his lost sons and daughters. I'm going to tell you this. The... This is not an accusation. It's a statement of fact, okay? America is maybe, by percentage, one of the most Christian nations in the world. Nobody's really arguing that, right? We know this. I also think we are the most sedentary Christians, maybe, in the entire world. We have access to, look, guys, like, objectively, In this day, right now, on your phone, you have more access to Bible commentaries, Bible versions. You have more access to, I mean, the apps will read the Bible to us. It takes all the work out of being a Christian. And it also takes all the risk out of being a Christian. And I think the worst thing it does is it takes all the discomfort out of being a Christian. The life of a Christian is uncomfortable because we are going to constantly put ourselves in uncomfortable situations because once we are saved, what God starts doing, this is what discipleship is. Discipleship is us forming a heart that is alignment with the heart of God for all of his kids. And in the midst of us fulfilling our unique calling and purpose, one thing we can never avoid, and I'm telling you, down to the ground, the Great Commission, Matthew 28 and Mark 16, applies to everyone who says Jesus is their Lord. That means every single one of you are meant to carry the Great Commission into every area of your life. That doesn't mean that you walk around screaming Jesus in the office. But what it does mean is you might pray first and ask questions later. It might mean that you are the person who shows compassion first when everyone else shows criticism. Do you know what I'm saying? It might be you who opens up your wallet and helps pay the car payment for the person who was too irresponsible and should have paid it themselves. I'm going to tell you if you're going to be a Christian who is influential for the kingdom of God, you're going to have to expose yourself to risk and being taken advantage of. And you're going to have to care less about the irresponsible nature of other children of God stealing your money or taking advantage of you or giving it. Or you're, Like you ever looked at somebody and been like, I might as well burn that money. Well, then give it to them anyway. You got more probably. Y'all with me? No? It's not fun? I got you. Here's one to turn to reality. I said this at Clay. I'm not going to repeat a lot of stuff I said at Clay, but I am going to repeat this. And I just want this to set in our chest. For Christians, earth is hell because it is the worst we will ever have it. This is how God feels. This is eternal reality. This isn't temporary reality. This is real life. 
If you call Jesus your Lord and you are truly saved, you will spend eternity in heaven, and this place cannot compare to it. But we are so busy building our own kingdom on this earth that we forget nothing we build here will compare to what he has built for us in heaven. And when we are faced with temporary realities all the time and problems in front of us all the time, we disconnect from the fact that God is actually the invisible things. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 says. The invisible things are the greatest reality and the thing that we are supposed to form our lives around. And this is, this is either 100% Genesis to Revelation biblical or I'm, I'm, I'm just making it all up. I'm telling you, this is a transcendent principle throughout Scripture. God created everything, including us. And here's a part that should rattle us a little bit. For Christians, earth is hell because it's the worst we'll ever have it. But to a non-believer, earth is heaven. And this is the best they're ever going to get. It only gets worse. And that does something to me. I think about my kid running around, innocent, not knowing that he's lost, not knowing that he's in danger, not knowing that any moment something had happened. But I'm his dad. And I'm aware of that for him. And I think that there are billions of lost people. And the Father knows what awaits, and we're disconnected from it. And we've, we have gotten so comfortable. And I'm not saying that you have to, like, you can't, like, look, in Seattle, right? Um, we do ministry in Seattle, like in the heart of Seattle, okay? And so there are roughly 18,000 homeless people within six miles of our church, okay? Like 18,000, all right? And I can't, I can't fix 18,000 problems. Do you know what I mean? I'm not God, first of all, and neither are you, so let that give you some relief. But I can, like, make impact in one person at a time. And I can just choose. And this is all I'm saying to you. I'm going to get into this word, but like, this is all I'm saying. Whether they're homeless, whether it's the person who feels, you go to college, that one kid who doesn't look like they have any friends, they should be your friend now. That person who doesn't look anything like you at work, nobody wants to talk to, the really annoying person who talks too much, who's a jerk, who's too opinionated, who acts like they know everything and don't know everything and drives everyone crazy, y'all know that person, okay? They should become your friend. Brokenness creates the behaviors we don't like. Yeah? Y'all with me? Title of the message today is Found by the Father. I'm going to dive into a narrative in Luke 15, and I just want to give a little background. So in the story I'm about to read to you, I will say I think this story is maybe one of the most misinterpreted stories in the New Testament. It is taught a lot, um, but it's, uh, it's not about parenting, even though you can take parenting tips from it. Okay, um, And it's not about how to raise your kids, even though you can. And it's not about a literal dad with two sons. I'm going to talk about the prodigal son today. Um, this is a parable that God created on the spot to address a spiritual issue he was experiencing in real time. So the people in this story aren't even real people. Most of the time when this is presented, everyone's like, these are real people, the two sons and the dad. It's not. It's a parable. It's an analogy. It's a story Jesus is telling to give context to a situation standing right in front of him. And I'll break that down for you. So in this story we're about to read, it's also important to know that Jesus is going to die on a cross less than a year from the moment that he is telling this story. 
He knew he was going to die. He knew when he was going to die. Imagine the intensity. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, would you waste any of your time? And if you were going to tell somebody something, what are you going to tell them? Dude, you're going to tell them the most important thing you can think to tell them. You're not going to give two rips about what anybody has to say. You're going to forget about everything else in this world, and you're going to be like, I'm dying tomorrow. What's the most important? And you're going to start talking about those things. Well, Jesus is less than a year from the cross, and Jesus is not playing, right? So this is, this is a very powerful word. He's less than a year from the cross. He's in the last year of his ministry. So let's dive in. Luke 15, 1 through 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Pharisees and scribes were like religious leaders of the time. They would have been like the pastors of the time, but like hyper-legalistic pastors, right? Like, here are the rules. If you love God, you follow rules. If you don't follow the rules, you don't love God, and that's all there is to it. And we're great at following rules. We're the best at following rules, which means we're super holy, and you should do whatever we say. And we're also going to lord that over you, take most of your tithe money, and spend it on expensive vehicles and big houses. <clears throat> and the church said, please, let me follow that leadership. This man, uh, so they're all mad, right? Because, because why? They encounter Jesus. He's got a following. He's like stealing their sheep, right? And this man receives, what do they say? This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now Jesus creates three stories right away. And I'm just going to explain the first two, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. What's Jesus' motive for creating these? Jesus developed a culture where everyone felt welcome and invited. He transformed them. He didn't just invite the sick to his table. He said, I was the solution for their sickness. So he saw himself as the cure. He came to heal all sin, right? So let's not get it twisted. Jesus was never okay with sin. He was the solution for sin. He took it very seriously, so seriously that he was tortured and hung on a cross to heal us of sin. Right? So Jesus takes sin more serious than anybody. But there are two extremes standing in front of him, and I'm just going to use you, divided into two rows, to illustrate these two people. On this side, there are the religious leaders of the day. And the people on this side thought they were perfect. In fact, they thought they were the doorway to the kingdom of God. And if you weren't like them, and you didn't do exactly what they said, you were going to go to hell super, super fast, okay? These are the people I was describing first. But on this side of the room, these are all the prostitutes and all the crackheads and the the gangbangers and, and, and all the people who are just like full-on immersed in a career and turning away from Jesus. And these are all the people that they would look at and wouldn't have a meal with. You would not eat with them. And this divide would not be big enough for you because you would feel like the stench alone of their sin was going to corrupt you. If you looked at them too long, it was going to get into your soul and somehow pollute and taint you from God. And so you would divide yourself from these people. And Jesus is looking at this situation play out in front of him, and it breaks his heart. Why? Because his lost kids are on this side. And the ones who are supposed to represent him well don't want anything to do with them. They think that their religion can't help their sickness, and they would be right. But this is what Jesus is trying to heal on both sides. You guys with me? Okay, so let's dive deeper into this. Jesus tells a story 
of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Jesus is trying to reveal God's heart, God's perspective, and God's plan. If you're a note taker, just throw that down. God's heart, God's perspective, and God's plan. The first two stories, the lost sheep and the lost coin, um, are basically creating what I created earlier, relatability. He told two stories, just like me, to show that everyone can relate to something, and that's loss. We've all lost a possession that we found valuable, and we've also lost loved ones or people we've cared about. And so you know what? Rich or poor, high on the socioeconomic status or low, all genders, all races, all countries, we can all relate. Jesus is really smart. We can all relate to loss, right? So what is he trying to do? God's whole mission here is to share the gospel about himself and heal the division between his kids. God hates division, right? Hates division. So why these examples? Trying to create relatability. Jesus is creating an opportunity for them to forget their differences, and he unifies them around the shared experiences and emotions of loss. So for just a moment, like, I never, like, through this teaching, I never want you to lose the perspective, because we're going to talk about two sons and a dad. I never want you to lose the perspective of who you are in the room and who you represent in this narrative, okay? So let's continue. So this is, just remember, this is a parable. It's a parable. It's a story. He's making up. Let's dive into the text, starting in verse 11. And he said, Jesus, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided him his property. Culturally, this is a faux pas. When he's talking to these people, if you asked for your inheritance before your father had died, it was as if you were wishing they were dead. This is probably the most common thing people highlight about this narrative, and it's true. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property with reckless, or the root word is prodigal living. That's why we call it the parable of the prodigal son. Reckless or wasteful is prodigal. That's all prodigal means. And when he had spent everything, wasted it all, a severe famine came across that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out. So in the, in the original language, hired himself out means he attached himself and enmeshed himself with people outside of his father's house. Once he ran out of resources, he became completely enmeshed in sin is what this is saying. Okay, so when he hired himself out, you could also say he's like pimping himself out. And any time that you do, do you guys get what I'm saying? Like this is much bigger than him just hiring himself out. The root language is he fully, he got desperate and his desperation pushed him further from the father, not closer. You guys with me? Okay, <clears throat> like a sincere commitment to it. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, which is also something Jews would not do. You're all Jewish people, okay? You're all Jewish people now, and you can't touch pigs. They're filthy, they're dirty, and it'll make you go to hell, right? Everything makes you go to hell, right? Man, what a crazy everything. You go to hell for everything. You guys are in trouble, you know? Like, y'all are all messed up. Y'all probably eat pork all the time, too. Look at you. <laughs> Yeah, but when he came to himself, this means he had this awakening moment. He had this aha moment. I would say since you just came into this uh, conference, he had a reminder of a kaleo moment. 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned. This is what repentance looks like, acknowledging sin. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I have sinned against heaven and before you. Anytime you sin, you sin against at least two people, against yourself, guaranteed, and against God, guaranteed. And if someone else is involved, that gets added to the picture too. You see all this kind of playing out in the narrative? And he arose and came to his father. He arose and came to his father. Guys, if you were at Kaleo or if you have ever had a prophetic word or felt the call of God in your life or a trajectory of something, never let go of those moments. Because even if you stray, it is the remembrance of those moments where God met you in an altar, in a conference or something like that, that are meant to keep you returning back to him from your brokenness. We never want to leave, but all of us are human. So when we fall or we slip or we make a mistake, those moments are meant to be in a journal somewhere to remind you of his miraculous power and his love in your life. And so, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced and kissed him. The root language for kissed here is that he embraced his kid and he kissed him repeatedly. As if he was so moved by emotion, like the root word for this, you should be thankful that we translate this stuff into English because the root word meaning of compassion is guts. Like imagine if they didn't turn that into compassion, right? You'd be reading this. Don't complain about translators as much as we think we should, right? Because uh, imagine if it really just, and his guts ran to him, right? That's, that's how that would look. N not, doesn't make as much sense to us in 2024. <laughs> And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, started to go through the narrative. I've got this plan. I'm going to follow the plan. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his dad ignored him. But the father said to his servants, it's like he didn't even say it. Bring quickly the best, the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, so do you guys know which one the younger son is at this point in the narrative? That's you. You guys are the ones who went and did lines of cocaine on mirrors and hooked up with a bunch of prostitutes. That was your lot in life. And you guys are the ones that stayed at the house, who never left the temple, and felt like you were doing all the right things. And that became your identity. And that's really unfortunate. Let's keep reading. And he called one of the servants and was like, what's going on? Your brother's come back, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. He created the division. His father came out, his father came out and did the exact same thing for the older son that he did for the younger one. It says he came and entreated him. That means he came humbly before that son to have a discussion, which the son did not deserve, his stuck-up little butt. But he answered his father, look, these many years, look, it's easy to have compassion for this side of the room. Nobody likes this side of the room, right? I mean, we, like, we're annoyed with this side of the room, okay? But we don't like this side of the room. 
right? I mean, because these guys are jerks, right? I mean, not don't take it personal. It's not really you, okay? But, I mean, these guys are jerks, right? They're not nice. I mean, we might walk by the person, but we're not going to treat them poorly. These guys are just like, ah, scum of the earth, like spit on them and kick dirt in their face. It's dirty, man. Y'all are not nice, okay? Not nice. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property. Here's my justification for not liking them and wanting to separate myself from the people you say I should love and celebrate. Here's my justification for it. They made all the wrong decisions. I made all the right ones. You killed the fatted calf. What is happening? I've done everything right, and you've never celebrated me. I've preached the word, and I've shared the gospel, and I've done all these things. But these people have done nothing. And you're saying that even though they wasted all of their inheritance, which it's really important for you to know eternally in the eyes of God, you never run out of inheritance. You never run out of inheritance. God's bank account never runs dry. His power never goes weak. You guys get me? Like the blood of Christ is always enough. So we're like Jesus is the Father in this narrative. Now watch what happens. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother. And he corrected him because he called him your son, not my brother. There's so many things. I don't have time to go through all this stuff. Just reread this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Okay. There's just so much richness. Anytime Jesus drops a parable, bro, like go hard on parables. You know, like, if you're going to dig deep into something, man, go nasty hard on studying parables because Jesus is choosing his language so strategically and painting pictures that are so powerful. If you, 2,000 years ago, some of this is a little confusing for us now, but if you bring it into modern context, my gosh, man, it is deep. Jesus was dope, right? Like, man, that dude... It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive, was lost and found. At this point, Jesus has created for one group an incredibly, excuse me, see, I told you about the spit thing, right? It was an accident, but I had to, you know, self-deprecate to just work through the moment. At this point, (laughs) Jesus has created for one group an incredibly offensive example. This is how they feel. They're like, First of all, this narrative you're painting, that father, he's a disgrace anyway. They wouldn't want anything to do with a father like that. What kind of good father would run? Now check this out, okay? He not only like ate the pig slop, he laid with the pigs. Now I'm going to paint a picture for you that breaks my heart every time I hear it, but this is how God feels about us, okay? Now let's imagine, can you stand up for me, Pastor? All right, so this is the lost son, okay? Cokehead Eddie, all right? And I'm, and I'm a Jewish dad, all right? Jewish dad. And here's what I just, here's what I just, here's what Jesus just described him as. He had no shoes. He had one layer of clothing, which would have been equivalent to his underwear. And they weren't allowed to touch pigs, but the man who came to him was still covered in mud and pig poop. The mud that pigs turned in, this is one of the reasons they were considered unclean, was full of their excrement. He's covered in it. Now, his dad sees that a long way off. And his dad breaks all protocol. And he runs to his son. 
and he gives his son a huge hug and he pulls him in and he, guess what he did? He didn't say, you know what? First thing you should do, because you smell like a dumpster fire, is you should go take a bath. We, can, we have to stop asking people to get their lives together before they can be a part of our lives. He walked up and embraced him and allowed his dirt to get on his clothes. And then, even though he knew he was repentant, he ignored it by degree and said, Hey, go get the Louis Vuitton. No, 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 no. No, that $20,000 job with like the gold. Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy, come put that on him. That's the best thing you've got, I know. And it's really expensive. But I got deep pockets and I love him more than that jacket. And what is more important than me protecting something that the world says is valuable is making sure he knows how valuable he is to me. You guys picking up what I'm putting down right now? See, like at the end of the day, we count the wrong cost. We misevaluate stuff all of the time. And we look at how hard we work to create this wealth and this property and all this stuff. And then we look at them and we're like, nah, it's not worth it. It could get dirty. It's a waste of money and resources, but not to God. And I'm telling you right now, if you become the person who easily gives away, God will bankroll it because he is looking for people who are not just going to hoard stuff, but are going to be radically generous, radically generous, radically generous. You guys with me? And so he walks up and he hugs his kid and he kisses his kid. And I won't do that right now. And you're welcome. Right? I'm just kidding. You can say that now. He walks up and he starts kissing the kid covered in dirt and filth and he's disgusting and he looks like he was living a life of addiction. He looks like he was laying with prostitutes. You ever known anyone who was on meth for a few years? They lose about 40 years off their life and appearance, right? Their face gets sunken in. They get sores everywhere. Picture this. And this guy doesn't consider it at all. All he sees is his kid has come home and it was worth everything to him. There's this really cool like, piece of language in the original transaction where Jesus is, in, is revealing the power of the cross, and this is often missed in this narrative, okay? Jesus chooses the language very specifically. In the beginning, when the kid says, I want my inheritance, the root language for this is eusia. If I asked you for eusia in Greek, it would be like, hey, can I have your jacket? Any material property or just a pile of cash would be Eusea. So if I said, can I have your jacket? I would say, can I have Eusea? And then you would give me your jacket and I would receive Eusea. Eusea? See, it was a joke, right? Eusea? Eusea? Uh, right? Okay, you see what I did there? Okay, not that funny. That's fine. Don't be mad at me, okay? It's a bad joke. I get it. I'll move on. But Jesus changed the word in what he gave the guy. You ever notice this? He uses, Jesus is picking the language. Why? Because he is writing a narrative. He is telling a parable. So what the kid asked for and what Jesus gave were completely different things. The root language of what the father gave is bios. In Greek, it's pronounced bios. And you know what that is? Life. You missed this in the narrative, man. You miss this when you just read it because you think he's asking for some money and he gives him some money. But what did Jesus do? Jesus is less than a year from the cross. He's trying to say he's the bridge builder. 
He's the one who can stand in this gap that we created with our brokenness and our pride and our insecurity and our addiction and our lack of context of who Jesus says we truly are. We built this gap. God didn't. And the enemy loves this gap. And Jesus is saying, I'm the bridge builder. I came to stand between so my kids can reconnect and see each other the way that I see them. Are you guys with me right now? Jesus is less than a year from the cross. And I imagine that his heart is utterly broken for what he sees. Both of them are sharing flaws. They are flawed in the way they see the father. This one sees their father through the lens of entitlement, right? They're like, hey, if I do all these things, I'm the good son. They are posturing themselves religiously. And this one is flawed in the way they see the father because they just saw their father as someone that they needed an inheritance from. This guy, if he gets out of the way, I could go have some fun and really live my life, right? You guys with me? They didn't leave a place. They left a person. They left the presence of God. He's illustrating all these things. Jesus is the father in this story. And we're the kids. Both are flawed in the way they see themselves and others. Both are selfish, entitled, and broken. Both trust in the wrong things. Both are sinful. Both need a solution. What's the solution? What's the solution? Man, Jesus is the solution. If our approach to God is wrong, then our approach to people will be wrong too. If our approach to God is wrong, our approach to people will be wrong too. I think we frame the first and second commandment wrong. The first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And then it says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's not a commandment 1.5 though, is there? Commandment 1.5 that tells you to love yourself. But there's, in the second commandment, it says for you to love yourself. Love them the way you love yourself, right? What does that mean? There's an inference in the text through the first commandment. And this is what it is. If you would surrender your mind and allow God to shape the way you think. If you would surrender your heart and allow him to shape the way that you feel. If you would surrender your identity and trust the one he gave you, not the one the world says you should have. And strength is your strategy to make sure you surrender those things. He says, if you'll give all of those things to me, he will transform you so much so that he can create second commandment opportunities to love his kids the way he does. Can I get the keys player to come up here and make this more spiritual? And I'll just invite you to stand to your feet. <clears throat> Oh, sorry. Yeah, I should have. Uh, I should have done that. I had Sam all weekend. You know, I was just like, Sam, come on. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go ahead and move into this. Listen, guys. It's never been about how bad we are. It's always been about how good our Father is. It's never been about how bad we are. It's always been about how good our Father is. And every single one of us, man, whether we feel like we're crushing it spiritually, like we're, we're like holding the trophy of spirituality, or we're at the far end of that, all of us feel this thing inside of us by degree that we want to impress God. But I'm going to be honest with you. Like, think about this. With his words... He created everything. 
He said, let there be, and then it was. I think a battery's done. That God who can say something and create anything is unimpressible. We can't impress God, but we can surrender to God. You with me? God wants relationship with you, not a slave. God wants a kid. And he wants you to know that you're his kid. And God's heart says, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And the only way you get that is if you know you're his kid. The enemy is working overtime to steal identities all over the place. I'm going to tell you right now, young people, all of us who were alive before the internet did not have to face the level of temptation that you have to face. I'm going to tell you right now, by way of sin, you have it harder because you've got access to everything and you can't leave people's opinions. If a kid didn't like me in school, when I left school, I didn't have to hear that kid anymore. But that kid's opinion follows you on social media. You got 24-7 access to pornography. Before, if I were, if I wanted to look at something I shouldn't, it took a lot of effort for me. Green one. Green one. Thanks. Do you guys get what I'm saying? But for you, it's just one second of impulse control and you're right into it. Like as, as parents and as pastors, we need to have a lot more grace for your generation. Okay, instant gratification has never been a thing until now. I mean, really, right? Instant gratification is like a soul killer, a mind destroyer, a heart corrupter. I mean, you guys, if you don't have a strategy in place to prevent yourself from the fall, then you will fall. The Bible says, uh, Romans 13, 14, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. But if that scripture exists, then the antithesis exists too. Make provision to fulfill God's plan for your life. Yeah? So young people, old people too, man, we need the same thing. We need a plan and we need accountability. What's God's plan? For God so loved the world that he gave. He leads with generosity. God didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. So we shouldn't, Y'all tell you what I said? God didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. He doesn't want to give you a better life. He wants to give you eternal life. Like God just gets gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder. Okay, and that's some Oklahoma English for you. Okay. Like we looked for Asher, God is seeking to save his lost kids. And I just want to pray this over you. I was asking the Lord just to uh, give me some things to share. And uh, if you just close your eyes, I just want to minister over you for a second and pray over you for a second. But uh, I feel like God was saying that uh, some of you just disconnected from your identity. And one of the things that we see in this story is that with the lost son, one of the things the father did 
was remind him of who he was with radical generosity. The son had come back to take the position of a slave or a servant, but the father could only see him one way, even though he couldn't see himself the way the father did. He thought he had lost everything, but he hadn't because it was up to God's grace, not his failure to determine who he was. This is so important. The Father reveals your identity when you forget. Insecurity. Insecurity is fed when we think the right car makes us the right person. Insecurity is fed when we think the right job pleases God more. Insecurity is fed whenever the right house and the right income and the right family with the right clothes and the right family picture will make everything right in the world. What we project outward is who we really are when we know that's not the truth. And while we are busy trying to, uh, to, uh, to paint something that makes us feel better about ourselves, so long as we're trying to do that, we are completely disconnected from the God who's like, you know, I see... You know, not for everybody, and I'm not dissing wealth or anything like that, okay? I'm uh, like, I'm, I'm just take me contextually, okay? But if your identity is rooted in those things, and if you didn't have them, you actually believe you would be someone else and less valuable, then to God, with that mentality, it is the exact same thing as the sun coming covered in dirt and pig crap. You may as well come covered in poop if you are coming to the Lord with idols dressed all over you I know that's direct insecurity comes from trying to live out of an identity that is not in alignment with God's design insecurity comes from trying to live out of an identity that is not in alignment with God's design this generation will experience the greatest revival in history if we will just trust God's design. If we will get back to the very beginning where he said, I created you in my image. You need to know that you're the imago Day. That's what he says when he created everyone. He says, I made you in my image. That's the imago Day. That means you're meant to reflect God. That means everywhere you go, you can't turn off the Great Commission when you know who you are. If you were coming out of the castle as a prince or a princess coming from the king's house and you were walking through the street you would walk in confidence not because you knew you had money but because you knew who you were and how you carried yourself and how you love is actually the determining factor in who you really are your ability to let go of things will define your identity more than by what you're willing to buy or hold on to and I want to end where I began the most important voice you hear today is not mine, it's God's. And so I just want to invite you to one more time. Holy Spirit, remember what you prayed. What are you saying to me? What do I need to leave behind? Some of you, I feel like, need to run to the presence of the Father again. Man, I feel like there's uh, some marriages that are struggling one of you in the marriage and this is you just process this with your pastor after I'm not going to call anybody out but uh, but your, your spouse feels invisible 
and and you you believe that as protector and provider that's like your role but but your family doesn't know you like they they don't even see you and they don't have relationship and I'm telling you right now I've had the honor of being with people when they're dying and there's only two things people care about on their deathbed they wish they said yes to God in all the moments he asked them to do something everyone says this man even people who like made deathbed conversion moments were like I wish I lived for God and the other is I wish I prioritized my family over everything else that's why the first and second commandment are love God and love others and that's why at the very beginning when he created people the first two things he did in the very first covenant he made interhuman was marriage and I'm just saying like God's framework for marriage is the one we should be following and that might hurt but we first have to own that none of us are perfect but we will remain incredibly broken if we don't allow God to heal us and can I just get all of the single young people to come up to the front and just form a line and everyone in this church is going to pray for you just all the single young people yeah all y'all single young people all y'all Kaleo people y'all know y'all are young and single you're unmarried you're young come on just uh, just spread across the front. I'm just going to ask all of you guys to pray for them. I feel so strongly that, uh, that Gen Z, this young arising generation, this arising generation is meant to change a generation. Christianity will be changed and formed for the future based on your decisions. And I am intentionally putting that weight on you because the future of faith is dependent upon you choosing Jesus 30 years from now there will be believers because you said yes or there will be unbelievers because you said no how do I know that because of Matthew 28 and Mark 16 God put the gospel in your hands you are called and the sooner and the earlier that you know that you're his kids, that you should be full of the Holy Spirit going into the world and allowing God to reconcile his kids back into his arms, the better this world is going to be. And I'm telling you right now that if a few of you trust God enough to fall head over heels in love with him, you could change this city. I'm going to pray a prayer over you then. I don't want it to sound weird, but I'm going to ask God to make you pirates. <laughs> and for the rest of your life, you need to be hunting for buried treasure inside of everyone that you meet. We're going to pray that you guys see with God's eyes that his voice is the loudest thing in your ears and that he has all of your heart and that your identity is completely formed in him. So let's pray. In Jesus' name, right now, Holy Spirit, we say come. And we ask God that you would bestow upon these young people fire, passion, zeal, trust, and faith. 
We're asking, God, that with reckless abandon that they would pursue you. We are asking, God, that they would be the most devoted Jesus followers in history. God, we're asking that they would lead a generation into something that makes the book of Acts look like child's play. God, we're asking that they would lead millions upon millions, generations upon generations to the second coming of Christ by their faith, by their devotion, and by their willingness to walk into uncomfortable, pain-filled situations that don't make any sense and bring your power, your compassion, and your love, and your gospel into those places. I would ask God that you would make them bright, shining lights. And I sense across this group that each of you are facing your own things, your own temptations, your own brokenness, your own insecurities, your own traumas, your own abuses. And what I'm saying right now is that God is the only one who can completely heal, transform, and renew every aspect of your life. God is, the enemy is going to want you to attach to romantic relationships that steal your relationship with him. And you're going to convince yourself that you can have both, but you can't. And just as soon as you open your heart up to fall in love, it's really hard to close your heart. Young people, the thing that steals more relationships with God, purpose and calling is falling in love before you're ready to get married and choosing somebody you got no business choosing and honestly believing something about yourself in character and maturity that isn't ready to be married either. We are asking for a radically devoted generation and this needs to be your measuring stick. Not, am I honoring the commandments? This was Jesus's. In John 8, 29, he said, this was his motive. And I'm praying this motive over you, and we're going to stop. I do whatever pleases my Father. Seek to please Jesus. Instead of asking, does the Bible specifically say I can or cannot do this thing? Just ask yourself, with all the knowledge you have, and ask a mentor if you don't know, would this please God? It might not. The Bible doesn't say you can't do drugs, but do you think doing drugs pleases God? No. We commission you to be a generation of people who choose to please God in every area of your life. In Jesus' name. And just as a church... I don't know you, so I don't know if you've given your lives to Jesus or not, but based on what we just read, I don't care where you are in your faith. If right now you're not 100% sure that if you died, you would spend eternity in heaven, then here's what we're going to do. This is not an invitation to join a branded Christian social club. Okay, This is an invitation to join the kingdom of God. And there's a really big difference. If you just say these words into the air, it adds nothing to your life. But if you pray with all of your heart and you surrender your life to God, he will change you from the inside out. And if, and if you're wrestling with what you think you're going to have to walk away from, if you pray this prayer, let God handle all that afterward. I'm sure that son running up was trying to think of all the things he would have to do to get back in the good graces of God. But what did he do? He took him right where he was, and he loved him right where he was, and he helped him through the process of transformation. So if you're with me today, and you want to give your life to God for real, for real, for real, for real, for real, Maybe renew your relationship with God. Yes. Then let's pray this together. Take a deep breath. And I want you to pretend that you're in a room alone. It's just you and Jesus.
take a second and get there. It's just you and God, not a person on your left or right. It's just you, one-on-one. And let's just have a fresh state of repentance, even for believers. It's just healthy. Let's all pray this out loud together. Jesus, Jesus. I love you. And I'm sorry for everything I've done, I've said, or I've thought that didn't please you. Please forgive me. I receive your grace. I give you all of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. Be my God be my king fill me with your Holy Spirit then I could live a life that pleases you I love you Jesus in Jesus holy name Thank you, Pastor Jeremy, for speaking God's heart. We appreciate you and Kat being here. Come back soon. Let's just lift up our hands. Let's let's uh, let's receive these blessings of God's presence. Father, we thank you for your just showing us a glimpse of your heart today. Lord, we want to be a church. We want to be a community that says that. Our food is to do your will, Father. The very sustenance that we that keep us going is to do your will. Not because we have to, but we because we get to. You are our good, good Father. Lord, we receive your heart, the way you see the loss. How you as a father kiss that slob, slobbery son of yours, Lord God that is so smelly and dirty and yet you don't care about all of those things. Lord, help us to own that kind of a heart because all that we wanted to do is just to please you. Lord, I pray for all of the fathers and mothers here who is having a hard time even with our relationship with our sons and daughters that you would give us the Father's heart. And, and, and for all of us as sons and daughters, God, God, turn our hearts to our fathers and mothers again, to love them and, and, and to just say that tonight if, 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 if your heart has been moved, just, just call your mom and dad and, and just to appreciate them and to say that you love them. Father, thank you. And church, receive these blessings today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine His face upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn His face upon you. Receive the blessings of the heart of the Father. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all who receive the blessing of God say together with me, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Come on. Uh, show some love to Pastor Jeremy and Kat here. Come on. Amen.